Blog Talk Radio. This is the CBS News Special Report. I'm Katie Couric at CBS News Election Headquarters in New York. And we have breaking news, momentous news, really. CBS now estimates because of victories in California, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. CBS projects that Senator Barack Obama of Illinois will be the next president of the United States. He defeats John McCain, the senator from Arizona and Vietnam War hero. And no matter whom you voted for, you'd have to agree this is an incredible milestone in the history of this country. A century and a half after the Constitution abolished slavery and guaranteed blacks the right to vote, four decades after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, voters have chosen our first African-American president. Bob Schieffer and Jeff Greenfield, as we watch these dramatic pictures, and with all due respect, I think we probably want to stay on those pictures instead of shots of any of us. I mean, it is so incredible to see these crowds, the culmination of a two-year campaign and a lot of hopes and dreams of so many Americans. Katie, this is more than an election night in America. This is a momentous night in the history of our country. This is the fastest rise to the presidency in more than 100 years. And the fact that the man propelling that rise was four years ago a state senator, in his own words, a skinny black kid with a funny name who came from a big city, a place Americans don't pick their presidents from, to ride the mantle of change in one of the more brilliant campaigns anyone has ever seen into the White House is one for the history books. In fact, Bob Schieffer, you have covered so many campaigns in your career. Did you ever imagine that you would see an African-American elected to the highest office in the land. You know, I'm not sure that I ever did. Uh, You know, I went to segregated schools in the segregated South. When I graduated from high school, no black student had ever attended any school that I attended. Now that was in my lifetime. Look where we have come in just less than my lifetime. It's a remarkable event. And look at this crowd at Grant Park in Chicago. Cynthia Bowers is somewhere in that sea. Ladies and gentlemen of America, I'll tell you right now, what you just heard moments ago was history being made. And we're talking tonight, get the brass, get the good silverware, the china, whatever you have in the cabinet, because tonight we honor our Commander-in-Chief. President Barack Obama kicks off Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and it starts right now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, a very special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and tonight... President Barack Obama will be the highlight and the spotlight of this show as we begin to break down and look at the number of things that he has done in his presidency. And I'll tell you what, Lisa, as we approach the end of the era, if you will, of President Barack Obama, I'll tell you what, we're not short of information or challenges or accomplishments that this president has attained. Your thoughts? No, we're not. I think he's done he's done some really really great things. He's had he's had a fight on his hands uh, with the Republican uh, with the Republican uh, Congress, but 
Uh, he's done he's done a lot of great things. He's been working hard for this country, and he deserves to be recognized for that. Well, and we're going to do just that here on AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And Lisa, the disclaimer before we get all started here. Okay, we want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys, and a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC Radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little of your evening with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And Dennis, we were talking prior to the program. Uh, Cliff, Dennis, I'll tell you what. uh, First African-American president, uh, Dennis, we were alluding to the fact uh, that President Obama was in the Senate four years. That's just awesome. Four years in the United States Senate. And then president. And then president of the United States, as you heard the commentator on CBS News said the fastest rise to the office of the presidency in a hundred years and add on top of that uh, the first African-American president with such a rise. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, they should have seen it come because his four years in uh, in Illinois, uh, you know, he passed the first major ethics reform in 25 years. He cut taxes for working families, expanded health care for children and their parents. Uh, he was elected to the Senate in 2004. He, he was known even then to reach across the aisle to pass the farthest reaching lobbying reform in a generation, lock up the world's most dangerous weapons, and bring transparency to government by tracking federal spending online. I mean, it, it, he, he start, in that short for you, those type of accomplishments, that, those are lifetime accomplishments for a member of Congress. He did that in four years in the Senate seat in Illinois and then got propelled to the presidency. And we all know what happened after that. Well, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, when you have a rise that quick, uh, you're going to have your haters and the people that just have a problem. Uh, and on top of that, man, you actually are an African-American. Uh, there are other members and people that have tried to get to that office that have many years within in the in the Congress and could not get there, and you have this young black uh, young man out of Illinois, setting really setting precedents of how it works. Dennis, your thoughts on the president? Yes, and and wow, what an awesome job he's done. I mean, he came in and uh, he he worked both sides of the aisles. Uh, it wasn't about uh, you know just blacks, but it was about our nation, about making sure America. Uh, you know, I, I hate to. Always here trying to make America great again. America is already already great, and uh, that's because of uh, you know his contributions and and his his hard work to try to make it happen. And, and he's done a great job doing it. Well, what's absolutely mind-boggling to me is whenever there is a presidential election, absolutely the the president that's in office has done absolutely nothing uh, during his term, and that's what you hear every election. Well, and, and I remember on one uh, CNN was interviewing some some uh, people across the aisle and said, "Do you believe President did anything <laughs> during his tenure in office? Anything good? Anything?" And you will never hear one thing come out the mouth of a lot of people that are again, uh, uh, you know, partisan, if you will. And you you just can't say it tonight. We're going to shine a light on the, all the some of the things because it'll take several shows to get through Barack Obama. Uh, and what he's done and the impact that he has left on this nation uh, is 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 absolutely awesome. And we're going to deal with some of those issues tonight. 
And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, if you want to join in on the conversation as we salute and honor President Barack Obama and his accomplishments in the last eight years of this country, please call 319-527-6216. That's 319-527-6216. And uh, we definitely want to hear, some, hear, hear from uh, some folks tonight who are in support of President Obama. Uh, and again, nobody knows the difficulty of, of holding that seat. Uh, into the in that chair in that Oval Office, and uh, we respect the president for what he is doing, what he has attempted to do, in in spite of gridlock uh, in our nation's capital and in in the Congress, just not wanting to budge uh, and cross the aisle and get stuff done. And he has still been able uh, to get things done. He should be commended for that. Um, so we're going to get into that here shortly. Uh, we're going to actually get into some current news right now. We talked about this the other night. Uh, the young man from Stanford. Um, uh, is going to be walking out of prison. He's the, the gentleman that uh, the sexual assault charge where the uh, infamous judge gave him six months. Uh, he's walking out of prison in a two-month period, uh, and they say they cite good behavior uh, is why he is getting out early. Uh, and the ironic part, he was under protective custody, uh, so he wasn't even in general population. I don't know what good behavior there is. Uh, if you're in protective custody because you're locked down pretty much the majority of the time. Uh, that's another topic for another show. Uh, Dennis, when you look at this, as we talk about the racial disparities in America when it comes to sentencing, and we talked about this before, that dispar- racial disparities now has become and presented itself in front of the bench of judges. Uh, that's a very dangerous place to have racial disparities, let alone the prosecution. Uh, they're known to just be that way, but now when judges begin to make their ruling and their sentencing based upon your economic status or your racial uh, makeup, if you will, how dangerous is that place for us in America right now? Uh, it's very dangerous. I mean, uh, we truly depend on our judges uh, to do just that, uh, judge uh, right, rightfully uh, without prejudice. Uh, when we got prejudice or racism or, uh, you know, with our judges, when, when they start uh, actually taking into consideration uh, your, your status, uh, where you're from, uh, where you've been and all that, uh, you know, everything about your life, and it plays a role in their decision, we got some major problems. And uh, as you see, you know, somebody that's affluent, come on. I mean, whether you're white, black, if you commit rape, uh, everybody should get the same type of, uh, you know, punishment. But when you're going to send somebody home after two months and disregard the feelings of the victim, I, I tell you, we're in a sad time if, if our judges start swinging that way. No, it's definitely a dangerous situation, a abuse of power, if you will, at its highest level, uh, because you are dictating the life um, and the future of, of Americans. And, and that's very, very serious. And, you, again, you can read more about uh, that. That's going to be definitely top news tomorrow morning when you get up. Uh, my understanding is there will be a crowd of people waiting to greet this young man. Uh, I don't know whether that's good or bad, given his, uh, his status or his situation. Coming, coming up on the other side of this break, ladies and gentlemen, you did not tune in to, by coincidence or accident, you heard President Barack Obama, and we call this show Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Well, I'll tell you what. The spotlight comes from uh, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue tonight, the White House, and it's President Barack Obama. Folks, hang on to your seats. We're coming right back on Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. 
Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the lights. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. If you hear that sound, you know it's September across the United States and around the world. And uh, I'll tell you what, tonight is kickoff, if you will, as we begin begin tonight to honor President Barack Obama, uh, a legend, if you will, a champion of the people, 
And I, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, Barack Obama, they named him and categorized him or used the adjective that he actually was had the, the uh, feeling of a rock star when he hit the stage to run for the presidency four years after taking his seat in the U.S. Senate. And tonight we uh, take a little time, if you will, to honor Barack Obama, President Barack Obama, all of, a lot of his accomplishments, his fight against terrorism, his fight uh, to do the humane thing in regards to illegal immigration, uh, his fight uh, for, of course, the monumental uh, history maker, if you will, uh, the Affordable Care Act, which is known as Obamacare. So many things, so many millions of people that have been affected, that are, have, have benefited from the leadership of President Barack Obama. And Cliff, when we begin to chime in on this conversation, uh, we definitely are not short of words as we address uh, our Commander-in-Chief of the United States. Absolutely not. I mean, you look at everything that he has accomplished from the time he was a senator that we mentioned earlier, and the fact that, you know, when he came into office, uh, we were in the era of the uh, Great Recession, and we are losing 800,000 jobs a month across America. Uh, he acted immediately to get the economy back on track. Since then, the private sector has added back more than 10 million jobs. Hold up. Back that up. Million. Because according to the news reports uh, by politicians, President Barack Obama, our economy is in a horrible condition. Did you say 10 million jobs? 10 million jobs. And those 10 million jobs uh, came during the longest uninterrupted period of job growth in our nation's history. So all the naysayers who are saying, oh, Obama's not doing anything, uh, they're, you know, complaining about this and, and about that. It's like you guys need to really, really uh, look at the look at the, you know, like they say in football. Uh, let me see a stat. You look at Barack Obama's stats. I mean, your 10 million jobs, the longest uninterrupted uh, time frame of job growth in American history. In in his first term, they said, oh, well, he's making everybody's taxes are going up. In his first term, he he brought in cuts for every American, basically sending out a check to every, every American that paid taxes in his first term for uh, $3,600. That, that was added to your uh, tax return. Now, that's a president that says, I'm cutting taxes. That's how you cut taxes right there, cut me a check. Well, I'll tell you what, he also was uh, definitely uh, um, the instrumental key of rescuing the, uh, the auto industry uh, after that huge situation and really pushing us into a recession he not only uh, rescued the auto industry, he helped in the real estate industry. He helped in the mainstream uh, that it takes to be the power that America is, Dennis. And you, you don't, he, he's not getting a lot of credit for that. We're talking about, they were talking at that time of the auto industry. Think of that collapsing. How many jobs is that? I oh, mean, that's a lot. and how does that affect? We're talking about the, the financial institutions that were at the point of falling. We're talking banks. We're talking without banks, you can't buy homes. You can't get real. I mean, look at the big picture here. Exactly. I'm talking stabilizing a, a falling, a failing, if you will, economy, a financial collapse. So when you start talking about, hey, we don't need to bail the big banks or the, or the auto industry out, well, where are we going if those in- industries collapse in America? Where, where does that put us 
probably worse than the first depression that that was going on. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Exactly. Uh, it's just a. It really. It's kind of amusing uh, to hear uh, people bash the president in reference to the economy. Uh, right now, the unemployment is at five percent. Uh, deficients are down, and GDP is growing. Uh, so you ask the question: If all those things are happening, how are we? How, how is the president failing? I yep. mean, it, there's no way. It's, I, I think our, the problem is uh, we don't want to give credit to, to whom credit is due. I mean, the president. I mean, he he gets he gets bashed when 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 unemployment is high, but then when it goes down, nobody wants to give him the credit for it. You know what I'm saying? But I tell you, this president has done so much in reference to our economy. You talked about the bailouts. If that would not have happened, where would the car industry be right now? Well, I'll tell you what, Dennis, on that note, uh, and make no mistake about it, these are the facts. Every dime that was used for the bailout of the financial institutions and the auto industry has been paid back into America with interest. Exactly. So America lost nothing in the process but gain a great deal as a result of the leadership, the temper, temper, temperament, excuse me, uh, of President Barack Obama. That takes leadership to get that done. And you got to sometimes silence the critics and do your job. And, and that's what President Barack Obama has done with a very divided Congress uh, who has fought him on a lot of things, uh, uh, definitely in his second term, uh, things that he's wanting to get done. Uh, that they have just roadblocked him on getting done, and he has still been able uh, to get things done. I'll tell you what, that's the, that's the sign of a leader. Tonight we shine the spotlight on President Barack Obama. Uh, let's hear a little clip right now talking about, in a tribute, if you will, part one, to President Barack Obama. This is someone who walked into office faced with multiple crises, each one of them could sink the country. But he was always calmer than the rest of us. From his first days in office, the difficult choices he made as president would not only shape the country's future, but reveal the character of the man. This is an economy right now that can't find the bottom of bad news. Dire predictions. A once-in-a-century financial crisis. The six months surrounding January 2009 is the worst six months ever. Mr. President, millions of people are going to lose their jobs. Financial systems locked up, and it could collapse. Tonight, a top GM executive warns without help, the company will default. There is no plan B. As I looked around the room, there were so many brilliant people, but at the end of the day, there was only one man in that room who had to make the decision, and all eyes were on him. Everybody, Democrats, Republicans, do not rescue the automobile industry. The questions that the president asked again and again and again had to do with how many jobs would be lost. Whenever folks were arguing about numbers and politics, he was always the one who brought it back to people. Every night, he's up until 2 o'clock in the morning with his big stack of briefing books. That's what he's doing after the girls go to bed. 
he does his homework, analyzing the issues, ensuring that he has prepared. He really didn't care about the politics. He weighed the politics like any politician would. But at the end of the day, he was always willing to lose in order to do the right thing. Well, there you have it. Wow is the only word I have. Uh, talking, get inside the heart of the man, President Barack Obama. When President Obama took office, he inherited a global economic recession. Two ongoing foreign wars and the lowest ever international favorability rating for the United States. He campaigned on an ambitious agenda of financial reform, alternative energy, and reinventing education, health care, all while bringing down the national debt. Because these issues were intertwined with the economic well-being of the nation, he believed all would have to be undertaken simultaneously. During his inaugural speech, Obama summarized the situation by saying this, and I quote, Today I say to you that the challenges we faced are real. They are serious and they are many. They will not be met easily or in short span of time, but know this, America, they will be met. And I'll tell you what, when you hear that, Cliff, uh, from a president facing what he was facing and the challenges and the uphill climb, the president said, we, we, this has to be attacked simultaneously. That is very difficult, given the situation that Obama inherited upon taking office. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the key things in that last clip that we played uh, that stood out to me is said he was willing to lose to uh to do the right thing right that is what what uh is the true definition of a commander in chief yeah. it's like okay if we if we have to uh you know whatever compromise we have to make it's about doing the the right thing and that is what if we get every uh politician every member on capitol hill to say you know, we may have to compromise. I might not get exactly what I want, but it's about doing the right thing for the American people. It's about doing the right thing for the country. And that is what uh, I think stands out to me about President Obama is that you see that he's about the people. Uh, you know, he's been he's been called a politician and he has to uh, play that role. But it always comes back to, well, how is this going to affect the American people? That really stands out to me. And I commend him for it. And, and all of the naysayers, I mean, when, you, when, it, when it comes down to it, on his last day in office, when he waves goodbye and they break out his bio and say, here's his stat sheet, then what will you be able to say? Will they still say, well, he got nothing accomplished? I mean, they, they've called him a lame duck president. How? How do you call a president that has, has made history on so many fronts? Well, he's been a lame duck president. I just, I just don't get it. The, the facts are there. People don't want to deal with the truth. No, absolutely right. And President Barack Obama, when sworn in as president on January 20th, 2009, in the middle of the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, and at the time our economy was losing 800,000 jobs a month, not in a year, not in a quarter, 100,000 jobs were being lost at the time when he sworn and took the oath of office. He acted immediately to get our economy back on track. And as Cliff alluded to, since that time, 
The private sector has added back more than 10 million jobs during the longest uninterrupted period of job growth in our nation's history. How in the world then can you come back and say he's done nothing? That's, that is, that is when you hear that, is that not insanity? It's insanity. I, I don't get it. I, again, uh, as, we go, as we go through this show, uh, people will find out that this president has done so very much uh, in spite of the, the, the constant battles with, you know, with, 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 the, with, with the Republicans and, and all the different issues to try to get something passed. Uh, a lot of people think the president has all that power, but without the Senate and Congress, uh, it can be very restricted. But he fought on, and he's made a lot happen a lot. that we thought would never happen. No, absolutely. In his first term, the president cut taxes for every American worker. Let's just think of what I just said. For every American worker, President Obama cut taxes, putting $3,600 back in the pop- pockets of the typical family. That's, that's Joe the plumber, if you will. That's the average person that goes to work uh, every day with a sack lunch and, and really gives it a grind all day long. And he said, I'm going to put $3,600. That's a lot of money for families that need school supplies, that need, uh, you know, recreation fees in, in, the, in, in, in school sports, whatever it is, a car payment, uh, gas, taking your kids to and from school. I mean, this is serious business. And this is about getting down in the trenches. This is about the president. And this is what I like about it. He vowed to do this. It's not about because you know what? President Obama didn't come from uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth. He came from very humble beginnings, but it taught him something, uh, what his parents had instilled in him. And I'll tell you what, to go to the presidency four years, that just hit me tonight, four years in the Senate, not even completing a term in the Senate. Before that's even completed, He's in the White House as president and commander-in-chief awesome. and leader of the, of the free world. And I'll tell you what, uh, he also passed historic Wall Street reform to make sure taxpayers never again have to bail out big, big banks. And uh, he passed landmark, uh, the Landmark Affordable Care Act, helping to put quality and affordable health care within the reach for millions of Americans. He ended the war in Iraq and is working to responsibly end the war in Afghanistan. And here's what you have where you can't win. Now they say, well, when President Obama, he pulled the troops out, he, he basically created ISIS. Or he did. No, he did not. So on one end, you have the American people crying to end this war, which was, again, not started on his watch. Exactly. But if you notice in the news today, uh, a period at this time when his, his uh, uh, presidency is coming to its end, all the blame is cast on President Obama. That's just unfair, and it's just not right, and it simply are not the facts. He inherited those wars. Exactly. He inherited that. And you don't pull the men back. As thousands and countless of lives are being lost, you're going to be criticized for that. And I remember watching an interview uh, some years ago with uh, President George W. Bush, and they were interviewing him, and I remember, and I learned something from this experience, that... He teared up when he was talking about 9-11. Everybody said that he simply made a decision, uh, and he, was, he didn't care about what happened to America. But when you saw the president at Ground Zero, 
I learned something when he was talking that day, and he said, nobody understands the tough choices that must be made in this office. And I don't care whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat. You should be honored as president of the United States that you held that office. Exactly. And, and that's just the bottom line. And, and the, the type of disrespect that President Obama has received during his tenure is unacceptable in this country. You have people jumping over the White House fence, getting into the living quarters of a sitting president. And one reason, he's black. So maybe we turn off the alarm, maybe we turn off the, the uh, motion detectors where, you know, we just didn't hear the alarm. And it speaks to, in spite of the fact that President Obama being the first African-American president, uh, we have challenges that we face as a nation as far as being acceptance of people, regardless of race. Uh, we face those challenges now. And I think what's, and I'd like to go into that, uh, what's so very important, uh, when he fought for the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, to, to pass that law and to make history, uh, they fought him every step of the way. Um, not a good look. And see, what, what um, stands out about President Obama and the Affordable Care Act is he took, the pain, the crisis that happened in his life with his mother and the fact that uh, everywhere that she went, they, they denied her coverage because they said, there's a pre-existing condition. We won't give you coverage for, uh, for, for your cancer treatment. And uh, he, as a young man, was, was ripped apart trying to find some type of way to, you know, help his mother to, uh, to fight to get her some type of health care benefit. And so that drove him to say, there will be health care for, for every American citizen, not just because you're rich, not uh, just because, you know, you've had health, you've been paying the insurance company from the time you were 18 and never had an ailment. And uh, then when you get 50, now, you know, the, the hundreds of thousand dollars that you put into the system, now they're going to kick in for you. But that was one of the key provisions of the Affordable Health Care Act that you could get health care with pre-existing uh, conditions. And it, it speaks volumes to his character, uh, not just as a president or a politician, but as a human being. Because when you looked at, at the insurance companies, they're already, for the most part, they're already getting over. So to allow a person to have coverage that has a pre-existing condition, it is not hurting the insurance companies at all for the amount that they pay out compared to the amount that they get in. And so, you know, he, he used his personal experience to drive what he did for the American people so that when he would look and say, I don't want another young man or young woman to have to watch their parent go through this type of condition and, and then to, to, to grieve and deal with that and then at the same time have to fight for health care. And he made the, the Affordable Care Act ensures that the American citizen doesn't have to deal with it from that perspective. I mean, you, go ahead, Lisa. No, please. And you know what else, Cliff? That is something that, I mean, everyone has talked about it. Everyone's tried to fight him against it. Uh, people are talking about trying to repeal it, trying to get rid of it. They go through all these changes when it's something that actually benefited millions and millions of Americans. If, if he hadn't put that in place, I wouldn't have been able to get insurance when I needed it. It's something that, that was necessary, but because he did it, they wanted to, to fight against it. The Republicans wanted to just kick it because it was from him. 
And he even he even told them. He said, "Look, okay, I agree. It's not the uh, perfect exact plan that we want. We had to come to a compromise. But if you want to repeal it, if you don't want to get it, if you don't want to put this plan in, give me an alternative that makes sense that uh, that supports." all the provisions in this plan and I will sign it into law. And what happened? They were silent. Like we don't have anything to replace it. We just want to get rid of it because you put it in place. Totally insane. That is the politics behind politicians is that it's all about just making you look bad, but I'm not concerned about the American people. We don't care that there's nothing to replace it. We just want to get rid of it because you put it in there, President Obama. And he has fought that since the time it's gotten passed, and the Supreme Court upheld it. So what else, what else has to be said? Congress voted it in, the Supreme Court said it was constitutional, and yet the uh, Republican Party still says we're going to repeal Obamacare. First of all, it is about Obama, Obama President Obama. It is about him, uh, first uh, African-American president, and uh, you have your nerves uh, coming up with such a great plan for our, our great country. But anyway, when you look at it, it's really, it, it amazes me how uh, those that fight against it are those that have health insurance. Exactly. They, can, they can afford it, you know. Exactly. Uh, this, this, this selfish society that uh, I got mine, good luck, get yours. But uh, uh, thankful we had a president that was not selfish, that thought that all Americans should, should be, have the right to uh, health care, uh, regardless of race, where you come from, how much you make. And I tell you right now, it is benefiting millions of people. So uh, we're always going to have that, that few that say, hey, I got mine, get yours. And uh, with that attitude, we can't be that great nation that we are. No, we can't. And we're going to hear a little bit uh, about that fight for health care that President Obama dug in and he didn't give up and history was made. A lot of people argued the politics were too costly. It'll be a cold day in hell before he socializes my country. Rahm Emanuel came to him and said, you're going to have to pull the bill because if you push this legislation, you will lose in 2012. He knew there'd be somewhere between 10 and 30 million people who would not get health insurance. Millions of people were being discriminated against by insurance companies. When you hear people more worried about the politics of it, then what's right and what's wrong. I want you to think about the millions of people all across this country who are looking for some help. He's thinking to himself, if I decide not to push forward, what do I say to all those people who came up to me with tears in their eyes telling me that they need this to save themselves? And if that means that I'm a one-term president, then I'm a one-term president. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, After nearly 100 years of talk and frustration, after decades of trying and a year of sustained effort and debate, the United States Congress finally declared that America's workers and America's families and America's small businesses deserve the security of knowing that here in this country, neither illness nor accident should endanger the dreams they've worked a lifetime to achieve. Tonight, at a time when the pundits said it was no longer possible, we rose above the weight of our politics. We pushed back on the undue influence of special interests. 
We didn't give in to mistrust or to cynicism or to fear. Instead, we proved that we are still a people capable of doing big things and tackling our biggest challenges. We proved that this government, the government of the people and by the people, still works for the people. I want to thank every member of Congress who stood up tonight with courage and conviction to make health care reform a reality. And I know this wasn't an easy vote for a lot of people, but it was the right vote. I want to thank Speaker Nancy Pelosi for her extraordinary leadership. Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and Majority Whip Jim Clyburn for their commitment to getting the job done. I want to thank my outstanding Vice President, Joe Biden, and my wonderful Secretary of Health and Human Services, Kathleen Sebelius, for their fantastic work on this issue. I want to thank the many staffers in Congress and my own incredible staff in the White House who have worked tirelessly over the past year with Americans of all walks of life forward to a reform package finally worthy of the people we were sent here to serve. But today's vote answers the dreams of so many who have fought for this reform. To every unsung American who took the time to sit down and write a letter or type out an email hoping your voice would be heard, it has been heard tonight. Well, there you have it. President Barack Obama making a impact on this nation. And I believe what stands out a lot, Dennis, Cliff, Lisa, is that he understood he could not do it alone. All, all the stuff we hear today is that it can't be done, that I can do it all by myself, that we can be divided as a people and as a nation and somehow begin to think that that will bring about change. President Barack Obama, take a bow as we salute our Commander-in-Chief on this special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. It continues on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, 
They each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. You have arrived at Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And we're coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the temperature right now is 71 degrees. A little cloudy. Had a little sun today peeking its way out. But ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it, September has arrived across the United States. And that means a change in our weather. But right now, it's doing still okay. Uh, right now in Washington, D.C., 80 degrees, mostly cloudy skies, probably a touch of humidity. Los Angeles, 79 degrees and sunny. And New York City, 72 degrees and cloudy. And tonight, the weather is not short of a uh, bright sunshine, if you will, at AJC Radio Studio. As tonight, the spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday shines the light on our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. And thank you for joining us. Feel free, folks, to get in on this conversation. You, you can feel free to dial in to 319 319- Five two seven six two one six. That's three one nine five two seven six two one six. And uh, Dennis, I'll tell you, as we've basically uh, very barely, if you will, scratched the surface on our Commander in Chief, President Barack Obama. Uh, I'll tell you what, t- touching a little bit on the economy, healthcare, uh, the impact that has been made by this president, and we have barely turned the page. Your thoughts as 
as we begin to, to, to continue this journey. Yes, we have a long ways to go. And I tell you, the talk that's already uh, we, we've talked about, like you said, health care uh, initiative and how he pushed it through and how millions and millions of uh, people now have health care uh, that at one time couldn't get it or afford it. And I tell you, to me, that's a, a major accomplishment. Uh, again, it's called it's that selflessness. It's about the American people. I tell you, as we go on talking about the president of the United States tonight, we're going to learn that he's he's contributed quite a bit. And so President Obama was born August 4th, 1961 in Honolulu, Hawaii, to a mother from Kansas, Stanley Ann Dunham, and a father from Kenya, Barack Obama Sr. He was also raised by his grandfather, who served in Patton's Army, and his grandmother, who worked her way up from secretarial pool to become vice president at a local bank. Uh, he worked his way through, through school, uh, Occidental College in Los Angeles, Columbia University in New York, and later Harvard Law School. With the help of, of scholarship money and student loans, you're talking about really a rags to riches uh, story here, Cliff. Because again, he worked. His, I mean, what you what you see with his parents, uh, he has saw by example what hard work actually produces. And I mean, when you look, he worked all the way through an Ivy League school to complete his degree. Uh, how amazing is that? And to sit in the White House tonight. A two-term sitting president. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at President Obama's, uh, you know, his his um, his his childhood, where he came from. Uh, you know, uh, born in Hawaii and then raised mostly by his parents. Um, you know, in in Kansas, but along the way went to the Philippines and uh, spent years there. I mean, pretty much living in the jungle. And, uh, you know, learning the cultures of different people, seeing it from their, dis- their different aspects. And then, you know, spending time in the uh, quote-unquote hood of, uh, of L.A. I mean, this President Obama has been, uh, you know, as the saying goes, through the trenches of life. Yes. And then, you know, came out and uh, four years in the Senate and said, you know what, it's, it's, it's time for some change in America. That's awesome. Some change for better. And a two-term president that has made... Uh, I mean, the changes, the implementation, the policy that that we as a people never really thought was like it just it can't be done. But he has crossed the aisle to uh, work with the with Republicans and Democrats to say we have to get these things done. It's not a question of, OK, can we will we. But he learned that um, just like his time in community service, that you have to compromise to get people to come together and work as one one integral unit. You say, okay, well, we're going to compromise some on your side and some on our side, and together we can come and build something and make it great. And that's what he's done for he's done. For, for America. I mean, even even with his his foreign policy, to to be able to open the borders of Cuba back to American citizens and allow commerce to go between Cuba and America. I mean, you're talking about this was closed off for 50 years, and people say, well, it just can't be done. The the relations between the two countries are so shattered that it can't be put back together. There is no trust on the, on either side. He went in, and I, I remember the day that he just came out, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to open back up the Cuba. He, the policies that were put in place, he said, are antiquated. There's no need to keep Cuba shut out from the, uh, from the civilized world wow. that, that are, we're right, uh, you know, 
for all intents and purposes, right down the street from Cuba. But we can't do commerce with him. He's opened that back up, and great things are happening there. And uh, even even with Iran, and, and we know that America has issues with Iran, but not why not keep your enemy closed so you know what they're doing? He implemented that to say, look, you got to be tired of sanctions. You want to sell your oil, but we, you cannot have nuclear weapons and uh, and be part of the of the of of you know of the quote unquote civilized world uh, because it's just too dangerous. And he got them to agree to stop their nuclear program and open up commerce with them as well. Well, it not only it not only protects us, and it goes a, a lot further than the oil issue. That's part of it, and open that commerce, but it protects. Uh, the civilized world from war, right? And the Middle East and allies in the Middle East that we have, it was—it's so many legs to that uh, Iran uh, plan or deal that was reached. It was about the saving of lives and keeping a chaotic Middle East somewhat in some type of civilization. That speaks volumes, and it speaks to the temperament of the need of temperament as the president of the United States. Things are never going to be what they are at face value. It goes so much deeper than that. And Cliff, as you alluded to, uh, spending some time in, in Los Angeles in 1985, Barack Obama moved to Chicago, where he got his starting community organizing on the city's south side. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything about Chicago, uh, the south side is far from Beverly Hills uh, of Chicago. And I'll tell you what, he was in the trenches uh, in Chicago. Uh, and I'll tell you what, working to help rebuild communities devastated by the closure of local steel plants, doing things to bring people together. What I'm hearing in this theme of this program tonight, Dennis, is bringing people together. That's not something we have heard much in 2016, but it goes to the core of the man, Barack Obama. Let's hear a little bit more about what he's done on Pennsylvania Avenue. Nothing comes to the desk of the President of the United States unless it's almost impossible. And he has to figure it out. The most critical thing was, was he there? We never knew that for sure. The President turns to every principal in the room. What do you recommend I do? And they say, well, 49% chance he's there, 51. It's a close call, Mr. President. He said, all right, thank you. He said, I'll give you my decision in the morning. Don't let me. He's all alone. This is his decision. If he was wrong, his presidency was done. Over. There were times... And he could not find a way. At least 14 dead, 50 injured after a lone gunman opens fire in a theater. There's been a shooting at a school in Newtown. This is the Sandy Hook Elementary School. There are reports of a shooting at a nightclub in Orlando. I walk into the oval. His head is down and he hands me the speech and he doesn't look up at me. He was too emotional. He wanted to ban assault weapons, he wanted to limit magazine sizes, and he wanted to impose a universal background check. Well, all three of those concepts are going to be on the floor of the United States Senate for a vote, and they're all going to lose. 
Congress literally does nothing. That's the closest I came to feeling disgusted. Every time I think about those kids, it gets me mad. And by the way, it happens on the streets of Chicago every day. Well, there you hear the human side of President Obama. But the side of a leader is what you hear. Uh, And when they take us on that journey, ladies and gentlemen, of President Obama making these tough decisions and his cabinet, his workers there with him walk into the White House, to the Oval Office, his head is down. He's getting news of tragedy, of terror. Uh, And he stands in the time of crisis. I can't imagine the load that's on this man. And it is so easy for people to criticize and yet not even begin to comprehend the depth of that office. Listen, when you hear that, it is troubling to me as the tone of this nation right now in its political spectrum, if you will, how easily can we forget the price of that office? Absolutely. I mean, you look at President Obama and uh, when the Sandy Hook shooting happened with the with the kids. And, you know, there's times when you see people cry out of uh, out of pain, grief, sometimes fear. Uh, you know, they don't know what to do. But when you saw President Obama cry about the kids in Sandy Hook, it was out of uh, the pain for what had happened, but also the 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 disgust, like he said, that that Congress wouldn't do anything. But it was it was a you know when he cried, it made you it made you stand up and feel proud that he was your president because you felt that okay he's feeling for these kids and that he's going to do what it takes to uh, to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And I mean that is the strength of a leader that in the time of uh, of tears and passion for something that affects every American citizen, you also saw his strength in it, that we'll be resilient and we'll ensure that this does not happen at another elementary school. But, you know, it just it just speaks to the fact that he cares about every American. You know, there is, I, I, you know, I challenge anybody to find footage of a president crying in, in front of the nation. But when President Obama cried, like I said, it made you stand up and feel proud that he was your president. Because here is the human side of the president who's, you know, he's supposed to be, um, you know, he's the, he's the most powerful man in, on the planet. But he cried for the kids and it made you feel like, okay, we must get something done to ensure this does not happen uh, again in America. And what was so stupid to me, it seemed very stupid to me, when I looked at them and they were going back and forth about the gun control issue and people were fighting it and saying that he's trying to take your guns away. There is, there was absolutely no reason to stand against him in saying we need to have stricter gun laws in this, in this country. Things need to be stricter. You need to do more thorough background checks. We need to make sure that people who are mentally unstable aren't able to just go in and get a gun. 
there's no there is nothing in that that's that uh right to bear arms nothing in that as long as you're mentally stable and you're not going to go shoot up a bunch of kids or anybody else they don't care he doesn't care if you have a gun nobody cares if you have a gun if you're not doing anything crooked with it and everyone wanted to say that well that's not going to that's not going to fix it he you can't stop all violent crime you can't stop all uh shootings you can't do that but he's trying to make it better and that's to me was the biggest thing it's like if it's, if it's going to help why not and that's the bottom line and uh entering his final year as president of the united states president barack obama in early january 2016 held a press conference to announce a new series of executive orders related to gun control citing examples such as the 2012 mass shooting at sandy hook elementary the president shed tears as he called on congress and the gun lobby to work with him to make the country safer. His measures, which have, met with, which have been met with vehement opposition from members of both Republican and Democratic parties, as well as gun advocacy groups such as the NRA, would implement more thorough background checks for gun buyers, stricter government oversight and enforcement of gun laws, better information sharing regarding mental health issues as related to gun ownership and investment in gun safety technology. According to a 2015 Gallup poll, most Americans favor some kind of stricter regulations of gun sales. And there's another poll, over 90% of the American people believed in the action that President Barack Obama was attempting to do to say, look, we can't, we can't fix it all, but maybe 10 less body bags, maybe uh, 10 more children, 20 more children are alive today as a result of right. doing something. Exactly. That is what it comes down to. And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, there comes a time in this country as president of the United States, you have to become commander and comforter. That's the bottom line. As you have to go into hospital rooms and go to the, 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 uh, those that have died as a result of gun control and comfort that mother, that wife, and not only for those that have died needlessly in terrorist attacks, but the, the police officers that have been killed in the streets and members of society, unarmed black men killed in the streets. He says, when does it stop? And President Barack Obama became commander and comforter and chief. Let's hear a little bit of that. We gather here in memory of 20 beautiful children and six remarkable adults. They were mothers and fathers. They were husbands and wives, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters, friends. He thinks of it in terms of if we're his son, his daughter, his wife, he actually feels the pain. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When we were lost, he asked us to believe. and try to see ourselves in one another. And through crisis and challenge, he kept fighting. 
to move us forward. There's a temperament associated with being president that he uniquely has. Eyes always fixed on long-term successes. Americans don't have to worry about insurance companies discriminating against them if they have a pre-existing condition. Thanks to President Obama, General Motors is once again number one in sales worldwide. President Obama signed an executive order aimed at eliminating the pay gap between men and women in the federal government. America deserves equal pay for equal work. Judge Sotomayor, are you prepared to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand. We'll offer you the chance to come out of the shadows so you can finally have the dignity of knowing you belong. Mr. Obama is the first sitting U.S. president to visit Cuba in nearly 90 years. And Cliff, I'll use your terminology, the stats. <laughs> I mean... If I heard that correctly, and I know I did, but I have to repeat it. General Motors, the number one, not second best, not trying to get there. The number one. Number one in car sales in the world. And you still have people who will try to say he was wrong for, oh, well, he he bailed out the car industry and used taxpayer dollars. Well, the the complaint is... Where are the jobs in America? Where is manufacturing in America? Where is the quality in American, uh, uh, American-made mater- um, you know, items? Well, GM got back to the top because President Obama bailed them out, or whatever you want to call it, paid to ensure they stayed in business. That's what happened, and they made it back to the top. That is the vision of a commander-in-chief to say, we can make it back to the top of that hill. It, it may be a struggle. It's going to be uh, hard. We might lose some things along the way, but we can get back there. And you still have the naysayers that some kind of way put a negative spin. How do you put a negative spin that the, that American car company is now back number one in the entire world? How how does that happen? Uh, it it is it is beyond me how some of the uh, the politicians, those in the Republican Party, says that that was a bad call. You, you no. have success, and every dollar, like you said earlier, Mont, every dollar of the bailout for the car industry, the automotive industry, has been paid back to the taxpayer with interest. And you still have people say, oh, it was a bad idea. How? Explain how? that to me, how it was a bad idea. Well, the rank of number one uh, <laughs> yeah. takes that away. and. You won the Super Bowl, but your draft pick was that was the wrong draft. Pick. You know, you just didn't do it right in the playoffs. You did lose a field goal in the Are you serious? We won President Obama, he's attacked constantly that he does nothing with terror. He does nothing to stop those that become a threat to the United States. He does nothing to protect the homeland. And Dennis, as we were talking here. Just a few things he's done with terrorism and current terrorism. Senior ISIS leader killed in Syria after U.S. airstrike of the Islamic State, May 5th, 2016. Forty ISIS operatives responsible for multiple attacks in Europe and the Middle East killed by Delta Force and Navy SEAL commandos doing various raids against the Islamic State, April 27th, 2016. Senior Al-Qaeda leader killed in Syria after U.S. airstrike 
Al-Qaeda, April 4, 2016. ISIS finance minister killed during U.S. operation against the Islamic State, May 5th, excuse me, March 25th, 2016. Senior ISIS leader and 12 additional ISIS fighters killed in Syria after a series of U.S. drone and manned aircraft strikes against the Islamic State. I mean, what are you talking about? And to make the statement that the president is the founder founder of ISIS, or he is responsible or part of this type of insanity. These are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. These are not made-up scripts. These are the facts. ISIS Cash Depot holding millions of dollars bombed in Iraq by U.S. airstrike against the Islamic State. January 11, 2016. Another senior leader injured and detained in Iraq after U.S. airstrike against the Islamic State. January 7. A senior leader killed in Libya by U.S. airstrike against the Islamic State. November 2015. Another senior leader killed in Libya with U.S. airstrikes. Can we say enough? This is a leader, ladies and gentlemen. This is someone who is getting the job done. And don't forget the the this is the president that took that that took out Osama bin Laden. Exactly. The the most prolific terrorist in modern times that that implemented the uh the aircraft that went into the Twin Towers. He hunted them down, found him, and uh as you know uh um Vice President Biden was saying they said it was a 49 to 51% chance that Osama was there. And Obama went into a room and contemplated it by himself and right. came to that decision that it's, it's worth it if we can get vindication for the American people. No, absolutely. That's critically important. And uh, these are things that, that matter. Uh, these are things that matter. Exactly. To the American people. And President Barack Obama is leading the charge. He said that we will degrade and ultimately destroy ISIL. He's keeping his word. Folks, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, I tell you, these are the facts. These are not uh, uh, assumptions. These are the facts. And yes, we have the truth on has a comment. Uh, Go ahead. You are live. Are you there? Okay, we're going to try to get her back uh, uh, on the caller that wanted to make a comment. We'll wait and see if we can get her back. Uh, but good points made there. And I didn't even read the whole list of things of how many senior leaders of ISIS have gone down. And this is the truth. These are the facts. Ladies and gentlemen, on the other side of this break, we continue to honor our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. On this special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, we continue with President Barack Obama. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that 
That is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world. The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. If you're wondering why that is playing, there was a time in this nation after 9-11 that they said Obama, excuse me, Osama bin Laden could not be caught, could not be captured, and it was thought mission impossible. But I'll tell you right now, we had a commander-in-chief, President Barack Obama said, not on my watch. Let's hear how that played out. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. He's ignited the most robust international agreement on climate change. The Paris Agreement represents the best chance to save the one planet that we've got. Obama announced a historic breakthrough with Iran today. A comprehensive, long-term deal that will prevent it from obtaining a nuclear weapon. He has this deep conviction that at big moments when we need to, 
we can still come together as a country and that out of a long political darkness, a brighter day will come. From the Supreme Court, we have read from the bench, there is a right to marriage equality. I repeat, there is a right to marriage equality. Today, we can say that we've made our union a little more perfect. But love is love. We now close today at 10,000 That's the longest stretch of private sector job growth in our history. The First Lady said it best. Being president has not changed who he is, it has revealed who he is. His core values, his principles, his temperament. I just stay at it. And I'm just going to keep on staying at it as long as I'm in this office. And America will succeed. I am absolutely confident about that. In moments of turmoil and doubt and crisis, when there are no good answers, when nothing is black and white and everything is gray, he is that calm presence, that poise and dignity and grace under pressure. That is who he is. Well, there you have it. The president got Osama bin Laden in a time, and if you ever saw the video of the Situation Room on that day, it was as tense as it could possibly get. What I learned from that situation through research, they said the president went around the room and asked every person, what do you think? Not that everybody leave the room. I got this. He went around asking his advisors, male or female, what do you think? That is leadership. That is temperament. And that is who President Barack Obama is, Cliff. As you hear that, uh, I tell you, it gives you goosebumps all over that a president could have that type of control and temperament to say, I cannot do this alone, and that is critical. Absolutely. I mean, you have some candidates, one candidate, who say, I know more about ISIS than the generals. That, that is ludicrous. That's when crazy. You, you, you see when going, after, when going after one man, the leader of al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, that the president said, I need to get advice from everyone. I, I am not a general in the Army, the Navy, the Marines, or the Air Force. I am not a special forces uh, you know, commander, but I will listen to those people because they know how to wage war. They know how to pull off a mission. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it is, it's his call, but his temperament says, I must ensure that what we're doing is correct. I mean, I mean when, you, when the bottom line, it comes down to it, we are about to take a life and, you know, uh, justifiably so, a life that, uh, you know, needs to be taken. But it's not just with, okay, just run in there and lay, every, every, lay everybody down that's standing in the room. That's not, uh, that's not the way it's done. That's not leadership. That is not a, a, a commander. A commander waves 
every option and looks at the situation, uh, you know, from, from every perspective and then makes the proper decision and the proper call. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those moments in America that you can say, you know, I'm proud of my president. I, I'm glad I did not have to make that call to make that decision that he did. But you could be proud of the outcome of what happened. And again, I mean, as president of the United States, I mean, that's such a, a role, a role that has to be humble, a role that has to depend on those that, uh, you know, a system in office, a role that, you know, you can't you can't do by yourself. And, and he, he he proves that. Uh, but what I like about the, the president is uh, his respect for for, you know, he just has so much respect. I, I think about uh, Senator McCain when he when he was going up against him and he truly respected this man. Yes. And then to have someone come and, and, and call the senator a loser because, you know, he was uh, captured. He was a POW. That's some, to me, that's very sad. That's sickening almost. Uh, but I know for a fact that as president of the United States, President Obama truly respected Senator McCain and uh, his position and uh, his, his, his having served in our, in our military. But I tell you, it takes a, a, a true president, one without selfishness, one that is really, really about the people and then about, uh, you know, getting this, you know, taking care of our, our enemies in a way that, you know, that, that, that they don't want to come back. He said, my goal is to truly destroy ISO. And I believe if he had more time in office, he would do that. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, that's something. And uh, well, do we have a caller? Yes, we have uh, June from Colorado Springs. Uh, wants to make a comment about what she's heard about President Obama tonight. Uh, June, you're live. Go ahead. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you all at the show for shining the spotlight on President Obama. It's so needed. There are so many negatives associated with the president. So many accusations. We need to hear some good things, and America needs to know what he has accomplished. Again, thank you for the show. And thank you for your call, June. We appreciate that comment. Yeah, thank you, uh, June, for that. And I think that's very, very important that it be looked at. And uh, one thing I thought which really stood out uh, to me, the Senate immigration bill, uh, Senator, excuse me, at this time, Senator Obama played a role, a key role in the crafting of the immigration reform bill that the Senate passed in May 2006. The bill, which President Bush supports, would provide more funds and technology for border security and prevent employers from skirting our laws by hiring illegal immigrants. Immigrants, excuse me. The bill also would provide immigrants who are now contributing and responsible members of society an opportunity to remain in the country and earn citizenship. But not all illegal immigrants would be guaranteed the right to remain in the United States. We talked about this, Dennis, before regarding the DREAM Act, that uh, by, through executive order, giving those babies, if you will, that came to this country of no fault of their own, the fear of being deported. And all they have known is America. That's all they've known. Exactly. And I think for the president to take that position uh, is critically important because it brings us to a point to know he has so many passions and heartfelt visions of America, and he's just putting his handiwork, if you will, in his hand in everything that can impact us 
in a positive way. And it's amazing to me how that stuff is left out of the picture. Let's talk about the move President took in regards to immigration. We begin with President Obama's controversial decision to stop deporting younger illegal immigrants and grant them work permits. The president says his decision is fair and just, but some Republicans are lashing out, saying this new policy is an obvious political move that makes an end run around the Constitution. Whit Johnson now joins us from the White House, and good morning to you, Whit. Rebecca, good morning to you. These new rules are effective immediately and specifically relate to illegal immigrants under the age of 30 who pose no security risk to the public. Now, amid political gridlock here in Washington, this is another example of President Obama attempting to bypass Congress. It makes no sense to expel talented young people who, for all intents and purposes, are Americans. It's a dramatic policy change, and President Obama's announcement could impact up to 800,000 illegal immigrants. To qualify, individuals must have entered the U.S. under the age of 16. They must be in school, have graduated or served in the U.S. military, and have no criminal history. They can also apply for a work permit, good for two years, with no limits on renewal. Let's be clear. This is not amnesty. This is not immunity. This is not a path to citizenship. It's not a permanent fix. But in a flurry of statements Friday, top congressional Republicans blasted the president's election year executive order. Senator Marco Rubio accused Obama of ignoring the Constitution, but said he supports a long-term solution for children who are brought to the U.S. illegally by their parents. On the campaign trail Friday, presidential hopeful Mitt Romney sided with Rubio. If I'm president, we'll do our very best to have that kind of long-term solution uh, that provides uh, certainty and clarity. Now, in recent polls, President Obama leads Mitt Romney by a wide margin among Hispanic voters. Their support is crucial to his reelection, which makes the timing of this announcement all the more significant. Rebecca? Whit Johnson at the White House. Whit, thank you. And there you have it. And uh, just a newsflash, Mitt Romney, you didn't make it. Uh, uh, President Obama uh, apparently convinced the American people that you were not the choice. So uh, I'll tell you what, dealing with that issue, uh, Dennis, is huge because he, he faced every type of opposition. And all he is saying, which, as we said before the clip, is let's do this decently. Let's do something that shows the American spirit of kindness. These are human beings. I learned yesterday that the illegal immigrants that are in this country right now contribute over $112 billion to America's economy. We're going to get into that here in a moment. Cliff? Yes, we have uh, the truth wants to make a comment about what she's heard about President Obama tonight. You are live. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to call just for a minute. I've, I mean, you can't even begin to uh, tell everything that Obama did in eight years because there's so many things that was done well. But I guess what stands out to me above everything else, he done it. He did all that he did and accomplished all that he accomplished when he was he was literally uh, uh, 
encircled by all these people who were saying you're doing nothing, you're doing nothing. And when I heard some of them during this time of um, of the uh, of, of of the president, all the presidential um, elections and stuff going on, you didn't talk about Obama. I couldn't believe when when Donald Trump said, or, or yes, I could, because he might say anything, but he said Obama is a complete failure, never accomplished anything. And I'm trying to understand how you have to be insane. Or were you even on this planet? Because as crazy as he is, he probably not on the planet. But but when you look at that, you think this man done more for our country, uh, in spite of all of the hindrances and all the things that that tried to keep him from going forward. He went forward anyway. I mean, with the threats on his life, with the threats on his family, uh, people getting into the White House, jumping fences. I mean, so many things happened to him. But he still stood tall. And that is the most admirable thing I think that we can have as, as a leader, that they don't say in the day of adversity, but they really do stand up and show who you are. You know, you really don't know who you are until you went through the pressure anyway. But, but this president has gone through stuff that no other president ever went through. And I've seen the, uh, the lack of, uh, of respect for him uh, and for the office. They have just, everywhere they could, to make it look bad. Uh, when, when, when Mitt Romney came out, his number one thing was, we're going to be sure that we make uh, uh, Obama a one-term president. I'm so glad that he had two terms. Even though as difficult as it is, they were all trying to undermine this man. And all we want to do when we get in the office is to cut up this, this health thing, Obama. Care. They just want to destroy anything good that he did. They want to destroy it. But you know what? I am so grateful for all that I see, and that in spite of all the controversy, in spite of all the accusations being made against him as a leader, he stood tall. His wife had to be a strong woman because the stuff they did to her husband, to their family, I mean, you had to be really good and, and ready for the test, and I don't think I would have been. But I am just so grateful that he has really shown us what can happen. And I think what you got to got to deal with as well, he's concerned about what he leaves and how how things are done because even him being the first black, they were they were just automatically using it and say, you know, for a black man and look what Obama did. Obama done more than any president that I think that we've ever had when it comes to coming into into the situation with all the crisis going on. I mean, this man came into a storm, and he was the one that stood out there in the midst of it, and regardless of how bad it looked, he made the decisions that were right. He is to be commended for, for this time in, in, in the office, and hopefully we'll get another president that will do as well as he did. God bless and thanks for taking my call. And thank you. And, you know, as, as uh, the caller alluded to, the, uh, the opposition uh, not to work with him. And the president called him out, I believe, at the State of the Union. And he's had this to say about those that will oppose him. President Obama says 2014 should be a year of action. In his State of the Union, he promised to use his powers to get around Congress when necessary. Bill Plant is at the White House, where the president is kicking off a two-day trip to promote his economic plans. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Charlie. That's right. Today, the president begins the campaign to sell the broad picture of possibilities 
and the promises for action for middle-class America, which he painted last night. It comes as he tries to recover and move on from a lousy year and low approval ratings. The President of the United States. Thank you. After a year of government gridlock, President Obama called for action, urging Congress to set politics aside and believe in the American dream. That's how the daughter of a factory worker is CEO of America's largest automaker. How the son of a barkeep is Speaker of the House. He told the members he's eager to work with them, but warned that he will also act on his own. America does not stand still, and neither will I. So wherever and whenever I can take steps without legislation to expand opportunity for more American families, that's what I'm going to do. Among the promised executive actions, a raise in the minimum wage for federal contractors to $10.10 an hour. If you cook our troops' meals or wash their dishes, you should not have to live in poverty. Defending his embattled health care law, the president asked Republicans to stop fighting old battles and come up with their own solutions. If you have specific plans to cut costs, cover more people, increase choice, tell America what you do differently. On national security, President Obama promised continued vigilance against terrorism, but pointed proudly to the end of U.S. commitments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Together with our allies, we will complete our mission there by the end of this year. And America's longest war will finally be over. Finally, the president introduced Army Ranger Corey Remsburg, who's undergone years of surgery and rehab after being seriously wounded during his 10th deployment to Afghanistan. Corey is here tonight. And like the Army he loves, like the America he serves, Sergeant First Class Corey Remsburg never gives up and he does not quit. At more than two minutes, it was the longest ovation of the night. And the most emotional point of the speech. Today in Maryland, the president goes to a big box store to urge Congress to raise the minimum wage for everyone. And there you have it. Uh, I'll tell you what, in no uncertain terms, you either get on board or jump, uh, jump off. Uh, the president says, by, without any fear of hesitation, we are going to get the job done. And the president has lived up to that reputation, Cliff. And when you hear that, I'll tell you what, it makes you proud to be called an American under this administration. Your thoughts on that, Cliff? Absolutely. I mean, everything that President Obama has done, the decisions that he's made, the policies that he's implemented through both of his terms, I mean, it, it makes you want to stand up and, and, and say, I'm a proud American. And the reason is because it, the things that he got accomplished, it wasn't just for big business. It wasn't just for the, the rich, the wealthy, uh, you know, the, the, the whoever. You're talking about this, this went down to every American from, you know, uh, GM as the being the number one uh, car manufacturer in the world, all the way down to those who could not afford health care. He had a tremendous impact on on business and and people's personal life uh, impact that was positive that, you know, hiked America back up to a higher level from when we went in the recession. And that is why when you see people disrespect him, uh, you know, like in the first state of the union, when, uh, you know, one of the one of the members of Congress cried out, calling him a liar. 
these these are the type of things that are unprecedented, and you know they have the racial overtones, but still he pushed, and he he said you know say what you will, but I will accomplish, and at the end of the day, when you pull up his stat sheet, that's all that's going to matter. He is leaving a legacy on file to show the American people that uh, if we work together, if if some are just willing to compromise a little bit then we can really get things done. And, and uh, you know, I'm just proud to have him as president. Oh, absolutely. And just name a few things that he has done. Uh, president Obama passed health care reform. He passed the stimulus package. He passed Wall Street reform, ended the war in Iraq, drew, uh, the drawdown of war in Afghanistan, eliminated Osama bin Laden, turned around U.S. auto industry, recapitalized banks, repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell, toppled Muammar Gaddafi, reversed Bush torture policies, proved America's image abroad, gave HBCUs financial boost, $98 million in new money for HBCUs at the Department of Education to include 5% or $13 million increase for the strengthening of the HBCU program and support for the $85 million in mandatory funding in the pending Student Aid and Fiscal Responsibility Act. He kicked banks out of federal student loan programs. Uh, I mean, he created race to the top, boosted fuel efficiency, coordinated international response to financial crisis, passed many stimulus, increased support for veterans, tightened sanctions on Iran, created conditions to begin closing the dirtiest power plants across the country, passed credit card reforms, eliminated pay equality laws, protected two liberal seats on the U.S. Supreme Court. Shall I continue? I'll tell you what, that continues on the other side of this break. As we shine the light on what President Obama, our commander-in-chief, continues to do impacting this nation. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. Hey, guys. I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dawson. I'm Hayden Christian. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fall Out Boy. I'm Dan Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are 
our future. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prison. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America, as tonight's Spotlight on Capitol Hill has been privileged, if you will, and honored to shine the spotlight on our Commander-in-Chief, President Barack Obama. And I'll tell you what, Dennis, this has been a humdinger. Lisa says it all the time. Uh, The bar continues to rise, and uh, there's no exception to that tonight. Dennis, your thoughts? Oh, not at all. I mean, this president has been awesome and has done so many great things for this country, I tell you. Uh, it's going to be it, whoever takes over, whoever gets the mantle, uh, uh, it's going to be a hard act to follow, I'll tell you. Well, I'll tell you. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, uh, no doubt. I mean, they got – it is a hard act to follow. Uh, I mean, you, you have so many things that he's accomplished, uh, so many policies that he's put in place that uh, it's going to take a special person to, uh, you know – one up President Obama. Oh, absolutely. And hopefully, uh, you know where our heart lies as we honored, uh, hopefully, a successor, President Obama Hillary Clinton. And I'll tell you what, one thing that President Obama did do, he stepped in the trenches, if you will, regarding criminal justice reform. Let's take a listen as, again, in history, I don't remember a president who has taken the initiative that President Barack Obama has done in changing and fixing a very broken criminal justice system. Let's see what he had to say. Hi, everybody. 30 years ago, there were 500,000 people behind bars in America. Today, there are 2.2 million. The United States is home to 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prisoners. 
Every year, we spend $80 billion to keep people locked up. Now, many of the folks in prison absolutely belong there. Our streets are safer thanks to the brave police officers and dedicated prosecutors who put violent criminals behind bars. But over the last few decades, we've also locked up more nonviolent offenders than ever before, for longer than ever before. That's one of the real reasons our prison population is so high. Ever since I was a senator, I've talked about how in too many cases our criminal justice system is a pipeline from underfunded schools to overcrowded jails. And we've taken steps to address it. We've invested in our schools to give at-risk young people a better shot to succeed. I've signed a bill reducing the 100 to 1 sentencing disparity between crack and powder cocaine. I've commuted the sentences of dozens of people sentenced under old drug laws we now recognize were unfair. The Department of Justice has gotten smart on crime, refocusing efforts on the worst offenders, and pursuing mandatory minimum sentences less frequently. Still, much of our criminal justice system remains unfair. In recent years, more of our eyes have been opened to this truth, and we can't close them anymore. Good people of all political persuasions are eager to do something about it. Over the next few weeks, I'll travel the country to highlight some of the Americans who are doing their part to fix our criminal justice system. I'll visit a community battling prescription drug and heroin abuse. I'll speak with leaders from law enforcement who are determined to lower the crime rate and the incarceration rate, and with police chiefs who have dedicated their careers to keeping our streets and officers safe. I'll meet with former prisoners who are earning their second chance. And I'll keep working with lawmakers from both parties who are determined to get criminal justice reform bills to my desk. Earlier this month, Democrats and Republicans came together in the Senate to introduce such a bill, one that would reduce mandatory minimums for nonviolent drug offenders and reward prisoners with shorter sentences if they complete programs that make them less likely to commit a repeat offense. Well, there you have it. I'll tell you what, folks. President Barack Obama, America, you got it right twice uh, in electing President Barack Obama. And when you hear that, uh, Lisa, about criminal justice reform as a mother uh, aspiring to teach your son the right path and what lies ahead, it has to be really encouraging uh, that uh, that is something that you probably would find very uh, favorable, wouldn't wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. I think it's... uh... I think it's very important for, for I think it's an important thing that they're doing and it's, it's 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 commendable. No, absolutely. And that's something we have to continue to, to highlight. I think that's important, Dennis, as we dealt with this show tonight to highlight. And there are so many we haven't scratched the surface. We have not scratched the surface to what President Obama and my, my thought is, Lisa, uh, we will probably come with a conclusion. Part two of President Barack Obama and his accomplishments uh, down the road before the end of the year. Absolutely. It looks like we'll have to. I mean, uh, uh, all that he's done and uh, continues to do, I tell you, we have to. Uh, I mean, sometimes you got to dispel the myth. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's negative about our our president. It's, it's time to tell, you know, get the truth out there and, and uh, thank our president for a job well done. And we yeah. definitely do that. Last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, as we close this segment of the show tonight, one thing I like about President Barack Obama He had no problem passing the torch. Let's hear that very special moment. Do not quit. It's the painting I keep in my private office. 
a big-eyed green owl with blue wings, made by a seven-year-old girl who was taken from us in Newtown, given to me by her parents so I wouldn't forget. A reminder of all the parents who have turned their grief into action. It's the small business owner in Colorado who cut most of his own salary so he wouldn't have to lay off any of his workers in the recession. Because he said that wouldn't have been in the spirit of America. It's the conservative in Texas who said he disagreed with me on everything. But he appreciated that, like him, I try to be a good dad. It's the courage of the young soldier from Arizona who nearly died on the battlefield in Afghanistan, but who has learned to speak again and walk again. And earlier this year, stepped through the door of the Oval Office on his own power to salute and shake my hand. It is every American who believes we could change this country for the better. So many of you who'd never been involved in politics, who picked up phones and hit the streets and used the internet in amazing new ways that I didn't really understand but made change happen. You are the best organizers on the planet and I am so proud of all the change that you made possible. Time and again, you picked me up. And I hope sometimes I picked you up too. And tonight, I ask you to do for Hillary Clinton what you did for me. I ask you to carry her the same way you carried me. Because you're who I was talking about 12 years ago when I talked about hope. It's been you who fueled my dogged faith in our future, even when the odds were great, even when the road is long. Hope in the face of difficulty. Hope in the face of uncertainty. The audacity of hope. America, you've vindicated that hope these past eight years. And now I'm ready to pass the baton and do my part as a private citizen. So this year, in this election, I'm asking you to join me to reject cynicism and reject fear and to summon what is best in us to elect Hillary Clinton as the next president of the United States and show the world we still believe in the promise of this great nation. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Could not close this segment of the show uh, any more special than that. Tonight, we give a very special thanks to President Barack Obama for his work and his public service to the United States of America. We salute you tonight and to his staff and to the vision and the journey that lies ahead for America. We say thank you to President Barack Obama for paving the way. Right now, we turn the page as we go into what you didn't know about the IRP-6. Some people think that business is a game. 
And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were uh, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. And there you have it. What you didn't know, ladies and gentlemen, tonight about the IRP-6, tonight we deal with a very uh, different subject. Who are the IRP-6? They are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. These are men that set out on a journey to embrace the entrepreneur spirit of America. Tonight what we deal with is that America and the corruption in the judicial process basically woke them up from that dream, and it became a nightmare. Tonight we ask the question, does the entrepreneur spirit, is that available to minorities? In this case, to the IRP-6. They set out on a journey, Cliff, to develop software to, number one, keep the homeland safe, and their dream to fulfill that entrepreneur spirit was sadly taken. Yes, and you even have uh, one of the subject matter experts that worked at NYPD as a, as a uh, detective for over 20 years that helped them in developing the software. Uh, he, in a statement to the FBI, said, you know, I don't know if, the, uh, if IRP Solutions wasn't, wasn't given a contract because they were a small black-owned business. I just don't know because it's the best software that I've ever seen. And, and he was the he was the IT professional that vetted software that came into the whole 
uh, New York Police Department. And when you have statements like that, uh, you have the competition that, um, you know, comes in and, and, and makes uh, remarks about, you know, you guys are too small to be able to get uh, an audience in front of Department of Homeland Security and NYPD. And then you have, um, you know, one of the staffing companies who's, who makes a statement, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my, uh, you know, my government contacts to ensure that I bring you down, that you never get a contract. And, and all these things, and, you know, Judge Sarakin said it best in the title of his uh, of his play that he did about the IRP6, the race card face up. It, it, this this is what is in front of you. Um, you know, it, it has extreme overtones of racism, not undertones, but overtones. Everything that uh, about the IRP6 case uh, points to, uh, you know, racism. And it, it's sad that we're still dealing with it in America. But we understand that, uh, you know, it's a fight that we have to keep waiting and until it is until it is done. We cannot give up. Well, stay content. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, to this program. What you didn't know about the RP6, we will pick that conversation up. Lisa, there are some perpetrators of justice that are committing fraud. They appear to be justice keepers or justice makers. They are perpetrators of justice. Who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of BTI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you get out and vote this year. This is critical that we vote and we make our choice known. A very special thanks to President Barack Obama for giving us material to shine the light on a champion, a champion of America. America. We'll see you next time.